0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned Out Up Punk Classics, a show where we take old episodes of Turned Out of Punk that have been lost from the Internet and return them to their previous glory by sticking them back on the feed. You can find this podcast on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and all other forms of social media. Well, that's pretty much it. At Turned Out of Punk, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Leford Damien. I play in a band. More information can be found at F-U-C-K-E-D-U-P dot c now sit back, relax, and enjoy another TOAP Classic. MVP, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This has been, so you're someone that I've wanted to talk to on this show for a long time, someone I've got to talk to on your show, but this means a lot, man. Thank you for coming on.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely uh, flattered.
0: Well, I got to say, like, I, I you're one of those people that I think I bought so much into your on-screen sort of persona at in in WWE that I never for a second just let it enter my mind that you could potentially have been a punk rock or hardcore kid. And then to follow you on Twitter (laughs) and find out that that was the case, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to have you on the show. And as I was telling you off-air, you're someone that I, I respect for so many other reasons, but to find out that you also have the connection to the punk world is just too much for me, so... I. I... Oh,
1: man, uh, uh, kind words. You flatter, you flatter <laughs> me, sure. <sir. laughs>
0: well, let's... Um, let, oh, sorry, go on.
1: No, I was just going to say uh, that people are always surprised by that, and, uh, and it's understandable because for for so long... Um, how old are you now?
0: I'm 36.
1: Okay, I'm 42. We're not that far apart. No. Um, you know, just until recently... It seems that, you know, music was uh, socially and culturally segregated for so long. Mm -hmm. And just over, like, the last, it seems, 10 or 15 years has it been a lot more of of mainstream crossover. And, and, um, uh, you know, now, um, I remember back when, you know, rap sucked and rock sucked and rappers and rockers were against each other. And, you know, fast forward, you got... You know, part of skate culture, kids wearing Pumas with, with fat laces, you know, doing fucking ollies, listening to Snoop Dogg. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, you know, everything's uh, crisscrossed and then everybody's down with everything. And when I was 14, I got up, I used to work at this drug store, not a drug, a vitamin store over in North Miami. And uh, this guy named Wes...
0: West Mitnick. Oh, but well, before you before you get into the story, I want to ask you. I want to I want to get my uh, my shit in and ask you my actual uh, titular okay, I'm, line. Sorry, I'm high as
1: fuck, so you got to leave me alone. No, no, please. I just so I'm massive massive gravity bomb rip. <laughs> so I'm 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 in the stratosphere. <laughs> I saved the stratosphere for me and you.
0: That is that is the the one place that I would most want to be right now. Trust me. You, you mentioned kind of like briefly your, your story about kind of first finding out about punk rock, but MVP, how did you get into punk? Do you remember like the first time you ever heard it?
1: You know, my earliest memory of punk is being in elementary school and reading. Uh, I was a precocious kid and I used to read the newspaper, uh, I was one of those latchkey kids. So I'd get home, pick the newspaper up off the porch, go in the house, call my mom, let her know I was home. Yeah. And I would actually read a little strip down the the side of the paper that was just a bunch of blurbs about what was going on. And the first thing I can remember, my earliest memories are reading about a band called the Dead Kennedys (laughs) and how offensive the name was. And I think I was... in. Second or third grade? (laughs) I just thought, yeah, that's pretty offensive. I I was that young, but I understood the offensiveness of the name. Um, And then, you know, somewhere along the way, I'm sure, you know, I just remember seeing footage on TV of, of, you know, Doc Martin boot-wearing kids with, you know, safety pins through their lips and whatnot. And, you know, the the media's depiction of punk or, Mm -hmm. you know, exposés. Hey, this is punk rock. This is a new craze, you know.
0: So when did you think it was, what was your original reaction to it? Were you like, had you heard the music at this point or no? Was it just sort of like in these sort of like sort of scare media pieces that you were seeing? Yeah,
1: I, I wasn't familiar with the music uh, at that point. My my introduction to the music was actually pretty cool. Um, as I was saying before, there was a guy named Wesley Mitnick, Wes. And he used to, to hang out with uh, some, and this is before... Going back before there was an established "quote unquote" colorblind skins, in, in the South Florida area, mm-hmm. they were uh, pretty much just referred to as American skins. Mm-hmm. And you know, they'd beat up people who talk bad about America. They'd beat up Nazis and they'd beat up gay people. Mm-hmm. And you know, at fourteen, I thought that was pretty cool. So, uh, unfortunately, the uh, the scene back then wasn't. You know, South Florida didn't have a real popping scene, but my buddy Wes, we used to get off work, and he would want to shoot down to uh, this club called Fire and Ice because if, if you got there before 11, you got a stamp, and then you can get in free. Mm-hmm. So Wes was a skin, and at that point, the only thing I knew about skins is that they were Nazis, and they beat up black people. So he was my my education to the scene and, you know, the different, you know, the, the different types of skins and, you know, what the laces meant. And I'm like, oh, shit, okay, I didn't even realize. And at the time, I was into gang culture in Miami, yeah. so that shit kind of appealed to me anyway. The music, though, <laughs> riding in Wes's Camaro with him blasting uh, Agnostic Front, MDC, and, you know, that took a little getting used to. It. <laughs> 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 and, and, but, but West did something that was brilliant, and it's kind of funny, because at that time, you know, I was, I was in The Public Enemy and Eric being M and, you know, um, I didn't dislike rock, you know, Van Halen kind of stuff I kind of dug, but um, Wes gave me a cassette tape, and on that cassette tape, one side had Bad Brains, Eye Against Eye, and on the other side had the Red Hot Chili Peppers Uplift Mofo Party Plan. Mm-hmm. He gave me that cassette tape, and he told me, that band right there, those guys are black. They're, they're dreadlock rosters. I'm like, no shit. These dudes? And I'm like, get the fuck. I, uh, that tape led me going to, uh, to a store called Open Records in North Miami Beach on 167th Street, because back then there was no alternative record store. You know, There was no alternative section.
0: Yeah, it's pre, pre-Nirvana kind of <laughs>
1: Exactly. And uh, I went <clears throat> and I bought Rock for Light. Uh, I bought the Roar Sessions. Uh, I bought Band of DC. This was my introduction to Bad Brains and I fell in love. Yeah. And all of a sudden I was like, oh shit, I like this. And then, and, and for me it was racial. Yeah. Without question, it was racial because these were some dudes that looked like me making some music that i probably wouldn't have listened to if they didn't look like me <clears throat> and that led to me you know getting turned on the fishbone and of course at that time the you know the red hot chili peppers who were you know they're this 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 funk sound where they were covering old funk classics and doing it well like okay this is a music i used to listen to with my father on the weekend so you know i can relate to this all of a sudden, there was this whole new world of music and culture that was open to me, and I stepped right on through that
0: door. So I, I guess back to the Babberins, you know, it's like you, you say it's racial, and, I, I, you know, obviously I'm not putting words into your mouth or anything, but also I think the thing with the Babberins is they are clearly – like a head and shoulders above a lot of bands like they are that much better so it's well
1: that was the thing that was so amazing about them cuz they came from a black uh, a background of of jazz fusion mm-hmm. they could play they could mm-hmm. really play they weren't like you know your typical hardcore band that as we were discussing earlier Hey, let's just get together and we'll figure it out as we go. Yeah, these guys came into it knowing how to play diminished sevenths and (laughs) whatever, mixolydian
0: modes. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So, when you got into it at this point, did you go to shows? Like, what was? Did you go to concerts at that point, or?
1: So my buddy Wes, who I was talking about once, um. Once I kind of got into the
0: groove... And, oh, sorry. I guess also because we were talking about it off-air, where did you meet Wes? Like, where were you working at the time?
1: Oh, I, um, I was working at this vitamin shop at 163rd Street Mall. Okay. Uh, my buddy Sean worked there, and I used to go, you know, hang out with them, and me and Wes kind of hit it off, and as he was the one that, you know, started teaching me about the, uh, the, the punk skin, the hardcore scene, and, and the culture. Uh, so with... Uh, with Wes, once I started working there, as I said, we'd shoot down the fire and ice yeah. so he could get his stamp. And then after that, you know, we'd hang around and drink beers with the Skins, or we would go to the Cameo, which is uh, some swank club on South Beach now, but back then it was still just the Cameo Theater, and that's where a lot of bands would play. Um, and that's where I saw MDC for the first time and went, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Did you, uh, do you ever see, oh, so MDC, was that your first punk band that you saw, or was that just the first one that really spoke to you?
1: No, that's the first one that I saw. Wow. That was my very first show, and I remember just being like, holy shit. Like, I, (laughs) I used to, in that time, I used to, like, we used to go to Coconut Grove and get into gang fights. Yeah. You know, and that was recreation. Now, don't get me wrong, it was scary, but, you know, that's what we did, and, uh, Man, when shit jumped off, I had that same feeling, that, <laughs> that oh, shit, I'm, are we fighting? Like, What the fuck? It's, you know, like, the, the immediate adrenaline rush and, and fight or flight panic. And then I was able to settle down and go like, oh, okay. This is, oh, okay, this is what they do. Wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so were you kind of like immediately, I guess by this point, were you into MDC? Because you said it took a while to get into the music, but was it more like the live experience that grabbed you at first with them than the record?
1: Um, yeah, well, at that time, yeah. you know, the the music, uh, I was just learning about it. So I, I, I couldn't discern one band from the other initially. Yeah. Yeah. It was just loud and angry. <laughs> and I could relate to that because, you know, the hip hop that I was listening to at the time was loud and angry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I started, like, actually listening, reading, you know, the lyrics, to you know, songs from Black Flag, and I'm like, wait a minute. We're kind of talking about some of the same stuff, you know, from from just different perspectives. And I, I guess you know the the angst spoke to me, and I could relate to it. Um, as far as like being into MDC, um, I wasn't into them at that point. If there was, I was only like into bad brains. Yeah. I was into bad brains. And everything else was just starting to come to me. I was just learning about it.
0: Mhm. Did you ever go to Churchill's? Was that where she Oh yeah,
1: of course.
0: Yeah, I played there. That, Did you really? Yeah, I still. Uh, I think I think was like I don't know if it's still there. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no, it's still there, man. It's still it's there. Still there. It's, awesome. it's an
1: institution. It's under new ownership, but they kept it the same.
0: Yeah, yeah, we played there, and it was. Uh, I guess God, it must have been seven years ago now, but it's certainly. It's amazing to go on that stage and realize that. That's the thing about I guess South Florida is like all those institutions are institutions that have been there. And so when you're stepping on stage at Churchill's, you're stepping on the same same stage that, like, The Eat stepped on and, like, all these crazy old punk bands played yeah, on. I
1: saw, I saw, man, I, I, I could go down a list of bands that I saw there if um, if I could remember. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, the U.S. Bombs, I, I saw the U.S. Bombs yeah. there. I saw um, I just uh, a number of them. But Churchill, someone said this, and I'd never thought it before, until I heard it recently, as a matter of fact, just last time I was down in Miami, someone said that Churchill's is Miami's CBGB's.
0: Yeah, and oh, said, definitely. Yes, yeah. that
1: is the perfect, it's a shithole, it's a dive. They serve food there, but I wouldn't eat it. <laughs> um, but, man, you're going to get cheap beer, you're going to get a cool ambiance, you're going to get awesome intimacy with live bands, and, and you're going to get Premier League on the weekends.
0: Yep. Yeah, it's, you get a taste of England in South Miami with the giant double-decker bus. Right, <laughs> the giant front. double-decker bus out front too. Um, so, what were there any local bands that were kind of speaking to you that you saw, or were, were there any local bands that you even liked or, at that time?
1: Uh, not at that time because yeah. oh wait a minute no I'm lying to you I'm lying to you wait a second it's funny how all this comes together you're actually conjuring up memories that I that I haven't considered in a that, while that's
0: what the show seems to do for people I'm glad wow
1: <laughs> um, okay so when I was 16 yeah um my I got arrested for uh you I caught an armed robbery case and I ended up going to prison so. It seems my window, my, my introduction and immersion into punk um, and the hardcore scene, it was immediately just shut off. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden I found this new scene, I'm digging the music, I like the style, and I'm seamlessly flowing back and forth between the two you know, genres, musically and socially. And then I ended up going to prison. And back then there was no hardcore to be heard on the radio. You know, you're going to get Guns N' Roses and and Led Zeppelin, you know, uh, triple shot at five o'clock on the afternoon drive.
2: yeah.
1: And (laughs) that's it. But fortunately, the prison I was at wasn't too far from Tampa. So I used to be able to pick up the occasional college radio station and I'd get like an injection of shit, you know, and it'd just be like, whoa, I would get goosebumps and I'd be fired up and that would be it. Um. So it wasn't until the grunge scene came along that uh, I was able to hear anything remotely close to that sound on mainstream radio.
0: Mm-hmm. So, but were there like bands that you like that before you had to go to prison that you, you, that you were into? Oh and...
1: yeah. No, it's funny because there was uh, that that's what I was going to say. Conjuring up memories. Yeah. When, when I was in prison, I, I bumped into this guy named Mark and, uh, we were shooting the shit, and again, back then, you know there weren't a lot of people that I could talk punk and hardcore music with
2: yeah and
1: and and or or learn because, like I said, you know i was I just had this crash course, and then it was all it all abruptly came to an end mark and I was trying to learn to play the guitar back then, Mark steps into the to the the music room one day, picks up a guitar, and he can play his ass off. We start shooting the shit. And he played for a South Florida band called FWA. Uh, and I had seen Foie once, and that was the only local band that I knew of that I know I had seen hanging out with Wes. And uh, wow. it just so happened that years later, I bumped yeah. into their guitar player in prison.
0: Was it FWA?
1: FWA. F-W-A, I'm pretty sure. Wow.
0: Foie. I've never heard of that band. That's They were like a hardcore band, too, or a punk band? Yeah. Or? Yeah. I will have to look that band up, but that's, yeah, it's funny. Cause I, there's been, well, not funny, but there's been other people here on the show that have come on that have, that had to do time. And they said in their experience, it was like, you know, they, they, they would, they would pick up the odd college station and hear like a punk song and it would be like, Oh wow. Cause it was just be so shut off from sort of the day to day life in inside.
1: Yeah. It was completely, completely isolated. Um, and on the rare occasion, I remember I met this one kid who came in and um, uh, we hit it off just because he liked thrash, you know? Yeah. And, and again, there was no thrash to be heard on the radio. And I'm like, hey, you ever heard of this band? Oh, yeah. I'm not really into them, but I heard of them. You ever heard of this band? Oh, DRI. Yeah, I heard of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're all right. You know, <laughs> so we could at least kind of have, at least we knew the, the, the dialects one another was speaking. But. Yeah. Um, you know, for the, for the longest time, like I said, at that time, there was no mainstream outlet to hear this music. It wasn't until I had been in prison for about, man, I remember it was past the halfway mark. I was at Glade CI, and there was a station out of Palm Beach. I don't remember the call letters now, but they were like, you know, they would play alternative music. And now that there was a lane for all, and a label for alternative music, then on occasion you'd hear certain bands pop up or, you know, now there were new bands, uh, reigniting an old sound.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And especially at that point too, uh, I guess you would have a lot of those bands getting kind of signed up in the post green day offspring, Nirvana kind of like,
1: dude, let me, let me, let me tell you this story. You're going to love this story. And, and, and I was at a Glades correctional work camp and, uh, they that station out of Palm Beach that I was talking about Wednesday they would have uh, I forgot I forgot what the show was but they it was like a, a nationally syndicated show and they would have uh, a live band in studio
2: mm-hmm.
1: and by this point now everybody knows who Gwen Stefani is she's a mainstream pop queen. And you know she ain't no holla back girl. You know <laughs> she's worth millions and millions of dollars. But I didn't know what Gwen Stefani looked like yet. Um, Tragic Kingdom was just out. I'm Just a Girl was getting massive radio play. Um, uh, walking in your spider web, like you know. Yeah. But I didn't. I hadn't seen her yet. I didn't even know how hot she was. I just heard. The interview with them, and they were talking about some of their influences being Bad Brains. Mm-hmm. So, I'm in love with this voice, this woman who I don't know, and or I'm falling in love with this woman. And they do a cover. Yeah, it just blew me away. Um, they did a Bad Brains cover. They did "Sailing On." Yeah, I was
0: gonna say "Sailing On," right? They used to do that.
1: They did "Sailing On," and she did "Doctor Knows." Guitar solo. She's scatted. I'm like, I don't know who this woman is. I don't know what she looks like. I am in love with her right now. I give her to me. When I get out of prison, I'm gonna find her and I'm gonna marry her and and, and fuck you, Gavin Rossdale. But uh, what? The, so I remember that moment like. Uh, uh, ooh, uh, when Stefani gave me the gift of bad brains.
0: That's that's awesome. Like I and it's also I guess at that point too like were the bad brains on Maverick at that point or no were like they on the oh, radio ever? Wow, yeah, that was uh, That yeah, I, I remember reading
1: about all this, yeah. you know, stuff that they were going through when they had to change their name to Soul Brain yeah. and you know, that whole deal. So I guess at that point they uh I think that was around the time Black Dots was released, as a yeah, matter of fact. Yeah,
0: that's right. Um, were, were you, like, where, you say you were reading it, were you getting music magazines inside, or where it? Oh, yeah, uh, man, I
1: used to subscribe, I had, like, well, yeah, we didn't have access to the internet, Yeah, but I had a lot of magazine subscriptions, so I had subscriptions to uh, Rolling Stone, of course, and uh, I think I had... Then and then a couple men's magazines like Details. Yeah. And, uh, st- but then I used to uh, get a couple fanzines
0: too. Really?
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I'm trying to. There was one I used to get from a guy out of Eureka, California. It was called Married Punks. Um. And that one was pretty cool. Yeah. Me and that guy used to pen a little bit. A guy named Doug. I wonder whatever happened to him. Um. And there was uh. There were a few others. I can't remember now, but that's kind of how I used to keep up with that
0: stuff. That's awesome. So how did you get in touch with these zines? Were like the ones you knew about before you went inside? or were... Absolutely not, dude. It's just
1: as, as luck would have it, one day I was walking through the day room, and there was a pile of magazines and books, and it was just... Uh, like uh, a, a few pages of of a zine, how it got there, who put it there, I'll never know. Yeah, but I picked it up and started flipping through it, and just wrote away for a couple of the zines that were advertised. And next thing I know, I was on somebody's <laughs> list, and I was getting a few zines every few months or whenever the hell they decided to put them together and put them out. So that's that, amazing. That cool.
0: That's an incredible story. Holy that. um I, I also, because like in MM and Maximum Rock and Roll, I remember in the back page you'd always see like in the in the sort of personal classified ad section, there'd be like you know someone writing in, being at like I'm at this facility, please write me looking for pen pals in prison, <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: while I'm inside type thing. But I uh, you know I guess they weren't fortunate enough to find zines in the day room <laughs> that worked out yeah. well. <laughs>
1: they yeah they weren't
0: they weren't quite so lucky so <laughs> no um so when you got out of Prison, obviously, that's when you kind of started your journey onto wrestling, and I, I think, but did you kind of get back into music right away, or, or how? Did oh that... man, in a big way, dude. uh What was I that should... like? I don't know. I, I'm sorry not to cut you off, but I'm just. I don't know. What was that like being? Because you're obviously so passionate about music, like that really comes across. Like, what was that like finally getting out and being able to kind of have access to all the stuff you've just been reading about or getting snippets of? Or anyway, please go on.
1: Oh no, dude! That that was one of the first things. Uh, there was a the woman who used to have the place that I bought all my Bad Brains albums from. She ended up uh, at Blue Note Records down in North Miami Beach. It was like three sections, and her store kind of morphed into the middle section. So I, when I was at work, release I would you know sneak over there sometimes and pop in and pick up a a cd or um and you know again little by little here i was being able to reimmerse myself in this music and once i was out completely i remember the first thing that i did the first show that i went to was the uh the warp tour and uh i went with uh, my buddy lindell Mm -hmm. and uh and his his buddy, uh, Steve, I think his name was, whatever the case, you know, here I was for the first time, because uh, I did nine and a half years in prison. Wow, yeah. So it's been almost a decade, you know, and here I am at a show for the first time, and, you know, I'm 255 pounds. <laughs> Last time I was in a pit, I was about 140
2: pounds.
1: <laughs> you, know? you know, I'm just fucking, uh, just, all naturally fucking cockswold, strong. I'm 28, 29 years old, full of piss and vinegar, and I'm ready to fucking wreak havoc in the pit. And every time I would get in it, just everybody would get out. What <laughs> the fuck, man? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Don't do this to me. And I remember I had on some black cargo shorts, some black Doc Martens, and an agnostic front T-shirt. I, remember, I remember Old school, baby. Let's ride. At the war Tour. Uh, you know, it's funny because the, these colorblind skins showed up, and mm-hmm. all, you know, my, my spider senses started tingling. My hair stood up on the back of my neck, if you will, and I see these rough, hard-looking dudes, all these guys got black mouthpieces. I'm like, all right, here comes trouble. Yeah. But to the contrary, me and those dudes ended up hitting it off right away. And uh, well, we started kind of hanging out. I'd see them at shows, and I just kind of got uh, accepted into their fold. So when I would show up at shows, uh, that was kind of the crew. This guy, Richie, uh, uh, Richie ended up in Georgia, too. Anyway, that was, uh, was kind of cool coming out of prison, getting into that. And, and it was funny because at that Warp tour, um, I had read a real cool article about Orange Nine Millimeter and mm-hmm. Burn and uh I really a uh, failure used to come on that uh Palm Beach radio station that I was talking about.
0: Oh wow, they got and radio play? Oh yeah, man, they, they
1: were on uh they were on whatever that station was in Florida in Palm Beach. That's I used awesome. to hear that. Yeah. You're such a failure. Yeah. Why you got to play? Oh man, I'd I love the song.
0: So that's awesome. No, I because I, I remember they were on the major label and stuff, but I guess in Canada we didn't really get them on the radio that much at all. So that's awesome to hear that in Florida they got to play. Yeah,
1: that's how I got turned on to them. Yeah. And uh, they, I read an article about them in Rolling Stone. So after the when I saw them play, immediately you know once again. For me, there's you know Shaka Malik. Yep. I'm like that could be me. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah. And uh, after they finished their set, I went around to the side and I just waved them down and I was like, "Hey man, I just want to tell you, dude. I fucking I heard you know I told him I just got out of prison and that I got turned on to their music when I was at work release and it was cool to see him live and this is my first show in ten years and this is fucking crazy." And he goes, "Wait, me stop! You just got out of prison after how long?" I said, yeah, nine and a half years. He goes, "This is your first show." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." He goes, "Man, dude, come hang out with us today, man." Fuck oh. that, you know. So for the rest of the day, I was hanging out with Orange Nine Millimeter, bouncing around from bus to bus. You know, they were introducing me to people, and everybody was showing me love, giving me brews. Hey, welcome home, man. So that was a real cool, very, very cool, uh, fuck a, a welcome home, you
0: know. An awesome story. That's an incredible story. I guess did you kind of start going to shows immediately after that on the regular, or was it like, or were you restricted in what you could and couldn't do? No, no, point? no. I was I,
1: when I when I was released, uh, it was cool. I was released expiration of sentence, so um, I was just trying to be smart because, yeah. you know, as I said, I kind of ended up falling in with uh, you know with these young testosterone filled, you know, colorblind skins who love to dust, you know, love a good dust up, you know, so. I don't mind, you know, I don't mind one, or yeah. I didn't mind them. But at the same time, it was probably better for me not to get caught up in that shit being fresh out of prison. So, you know, I, I would try to, because there were a few shows I went to where shit just jumped off. There was a little riot. There was a show where Sick of It All came down to Miami, and they played at this spot. And uh, they had the wrong security for hmm. for for this event. The security there just obviously had never worked uh, a, a that kind of a show before, so they were already really tense. And when you know, when the marching started and the pit got to going, you know, these guys weren't familiar with that and they didn't understand. And they were real physical, which is a a recipe for disaster. And sure enough, a riot broke out, and it was um, skins and punks united and strong, <laughs> <laughs> fighting the security and and, and cops and. Um, I was able to make it out of that one without, uh, without getting arrested.
0: <laughs> I guess that's the thing is like, there's a, a totally different set of consequences for you than all these other guys that you're hanging out with, with all these fights that they're getting into at these shows.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and I understood it. I mean, you know, I, I, I used to be that kid, you know? yeah, but now yeah. at this point I'm 28, 29, fresh out of prison. Yeah. And you know I'm in a deep deficit. Mm. I gotta climb out of this hole. Mm-hmm. You guys are, well, you know, guys. Few of the guys probably had priors and had been in trouble, but for the most part, they were most mostly young guys that hadn't been in any too serious yeah. trouble. So, you know, they could afford to to get that screw up. You know, I had already uh, used my uh oh.
0: <laughs> so at this point, you're obviously getting super into wrestling or starting to get into wrestling. Were there other people that you met in punk and hardcore that were also into wrestling at the time in Florida?
1: No, man. uh, There were, you know, in the Florida wrestling scene, you know, there are lots of guys that were into, you know, rock, but I don't recall meeting anybody that was really into punk or hardcore specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, Honestly, it wasn't until me and CM Punk met on the indies that there was anybody that I could remember really... You know, connecting with over music, and if and I think uh, <laughs> I think he had pretty much the same reaction that you did when he and I started talking music. He was like, "Oh shit, you like that? Really? Oh shit!"
0: <laughs> well, I think I, I'm gonna I'm definitely think it's also the uh, the fact that there's always this weird kind of connection that goes with punk and wrestling. Bizarrely, there's a lot of like you know you know Robbie Brookside right.
1: Sure. Yeah. You know, he, well, he's one of my favorite people in the world. I know all about his, uh, his uh, amazing documentary and past.
0: Yeah. his punk rock heritage. And, 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 and like, it's funny. Cause like I'll go to Liverpool and I'll talk to like punk friends in Liverpool and I'll be like, do you know this guy, Robbie Brookside? They're like, oh, that guy that wrestled. And I'm like, yeah, he's kind of a legend. Like he's actually considered <laughs> yeah. one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. They're like, Oh, no, like, they're just like, oh, he used to do shows, and he was like our friend, and like, I'm like, yeah, he's also, you know, a legend now, and and an icon to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah,
1: he's, yeah, he's, he's your favorite wrestler. Yeah. Respects Robbie Brookside. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: He's, yeah, exactly, he's like the black flag of wrestling.
1: Yeah, yeah, which, you know what, it's funny, because I was uh, talking about, you know, the Punk attitude of of wrestling that goes with it. I was in England mm, a few months ago Mm -hmm. wrestling for uh, NWA Fight Nation, and afterwards I was in a bar having a pint by myself. I met this lovely couple and uh, two really cool people, and I had on this uh, Bad Brains hoodie, and they complimented it and they like Bad Brains, and we started talking, and one thing led to another. It, you know, they find out I'm a professional wrestler, MVP. Oh, I know who you are. You know, okay, so the conversation turns. And when I told them that I had quit WWE, that I had asked for my release so that I could go wrestle in Japan, um, his wife said something that I'd never considered until she said it, and it just made me smile from ear to ear like a little kid. She goes, you quitting WWE to go to New Japan was punk as fuck. Oh, yeah. And I way
3: it's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over three hundred thousand travel experiences to choose from. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator ten for ten percent off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
0: I think I like. I wanted to get into that later on, but I, I have the exact same kind of reaction to that. Like that is to me like the the ultimate anti sellout move. Like that is following your dream and doing like that's like you know choosing to stick with the indie label because yeah that's what's the better fit for you. And like, and I think that's also another reason why, you know, I respect you is because you came out of this, you know, situation that, you know, if, if I were, in I'm sure it would break me and being in prison. And not only do you rebuild your life, but you follow your dreams and like to the fullest, to the fucking fullest going to Japan and wrestling in Japan. Cause you love Japanese wrestling after being at the height of your industry. Which is like, you know, some, some full bucket list, uh, foliage, life dream living. But, um, in in the course of kind of getting into wrestling on, on the start of it, did you were you able to kind of still go to shows or did you, were you forced to kind of pick at this point to start training and and going more down that path?
1: Well, yeah, once, once, um, uh, because uh, wrestling became an obsession, mm-hmm. I drank it, I ate it, I slept it, you know, um at this point, it seemed like the only time that I would, you know, I was still connected to the music when I would train, you know, but in the gym or, um, you know, sometimes if I was in the wrestling school by myself, you know, because what great fucking music to train to. Yeah. But, um, uh, the weekends became my wrestling time and I was usually on the road going out of town to some show or, you know, driving the proverbial 500 miles for a hot dog and a handshake. (laughs) So, you know, now there were no time for shows and uh shows started to become less and less until it got to the point where there was just virtually no shows at all
0: yeah where when you you I know you worked as a bouncer for a while I guess while also doing wrestling training were you ever bouncing at shows or was it always just oh, like no, clubs oh no no no
1: never never I would I when I first started the whole bouncing thing it was funny I I it, The reason I did that is because as a convicted felon, (laughs) nobody would hire me for anything else. I couldn't get a job anywhere, because I had to check that box. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, so I couldn't be hired. So a few people said, hey, you know, you're a big guy. You can take care of yourself. You should try bouncing. And uh, I got put on at a place here, a place there for like 65 bucks a night or whatever. And then somebody suggested that I take my talents to South Beach. (laughs) And uh, one night, I'm walking down South Beach, just going from club to club, asking if they're hiring. And I I happened to pass by this one club. It was called The Living Room. And at that time, it was the most exclusive club on South Beach with the the two uh, obnoxious French doormen who, uh, you know, who you have they pick and choose who yeah. gets in, the whole cattle call scene. Um, and Kimbo Slice was working outside the door as the security. And I'm like, yo, man, you guys hiring? He's like, yeah, hold on a second. He goes, gets his dude, Eric. And uh, I started working at the living room and I was making uh, hundred, $105 a night. I just <laughs> got a quick $40 raise from the shithole I was working at. Wow. And uh, And, you know, I had to wear a suit and tie and all of a sudden, you know, at these clubs, you know, people are so rich, they're, they're handing you tips. So I sometimes make a few hundred dollars in tips every night. There's guys just handing you money. Hey, buddy, here's, here's 20 bucks. Hey, thanks, man. Yeah. And rarely did I have to break up a fight in those kind of clubs. And, you know, besides, you had dudes like me and Kimbo Slice walking around, you know, in a suit being very nice, reminding you to have a good time, you know
0: pretty hard to go back to bouncing a no effects show after doing that <laughs> 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 yeah, just,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> Um, when uh, when you were though doing the wrestling and and sort of like traveling around and stuff like that were you ever get an opportunity to see shows kind of like throughout the travels at all or were you ever like were I guess it's at this point you kind of as you say you had to choose to kind of go full full into wrestling as opposed to being into the music fan at all at this point, but were you still like, how were you still consuming music, or were you still able to consume music at all? Like, were you just um, buying magazines or the internet? I guess at this point, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say at this point, just uh, you know, shows just became a uh, at that point really a thing of the past. I just didn't have time to go to any. Just um, it usually it was um, a matter of working. If I wasn't working at a wrestling show. I had to work so that I could support my wrestling habit, mm-hmm. and uh, the just shows didn't figure into that. So, yeah, my music news and going goings on were uh, whatever I got from the internet, and you know, on the on the rare occasion that. I ended up catching up with somebody who was, you know, on the scene, a buddy, Big oh, man, did you hear about so-and-so, so-and-so put out a new album, all these two people had a great show recently. But, you know, I just kind of got um, a little alienated from the scene just because I was trying to accomplish something. I was still, you know, I still had the music with me because yeah. it's something I would always listen to when I was training. You know, I still had the music, but as far as actually being active on the scene, it just wasn't time for it.
0: So what were some of the bands that you kind of got into? I guess right like I that's kind of like 1999 is is sort of like the thick of my era too. So I guess unfortunately because of force of circumstance you and me are kind of getting super into the stuff at the same time. What were some of your favorite bands around 99 or 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 into the early 2000s that you were kind of like they kind of spoke to you like Sick of It All you mentioned obviously and Orange reiminator um,
1: well, yeah, it was, it was cool because um, I, I kind of went, re- even though a, a lot of the newer bands that were out at that time, um, I was getting turned on to new stuff, but I was going very retro because yeah. for so long I wasn't able to listen to the stuff that I knew and that I liked. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there were bands that I liked back then that had whole catalogs that I missed out on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, um, for example... All of a sudden, here it is, way after they had come and gone, I'm listening to burn yeah. on a regular basis because because of orange nine millimeter um sick of it all was you know new to me, mm-hmm. you know, I had heard of them, and I knew about them, but all of a sudden, you know like oh shit i I like this um uh who else was uh who else was I listening to then that i that I really liked um uh, see man. Now you got to be trying to remember shit, and I'm high.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, don't worry. <laughs> try, try <laughs> try to move on he's and... back into the memory bank yeah. for, for who I was groovy to. Oh, you know who I got turned on to at that time? Um, and I, I'd i never miss a chance to put these guys over, because uh, there was a group called Bionic Jive.
2: Bionic of Jive? They say Arizona. Oh. And
1: uh, uh, Emerge McVeigh and Akko Mack, they're, they're rappers. But as far as the, the rock-rap hybrid, um, and it's, it's not punk or hardcore per yeah. se, but just in terms of the energy and the feeling, nobody, and my, my feelings, my personal opinion, does it better than these guys. I just, it's, it's the perfect hybrid. And if you ever get a chance, check out uh, uh, Bionic Jive. Just man, I oh. was really big into them. Because they were on remember that uh, farmclub.com?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I saw them on there live and I was like, Wow, these guys are awesome. And um they never, you know, as you know, they never got the uh, the opportunity that they should have got. But then, you know, bands like Limp Biscuit went on to become fucking huge and
0: that was like, the thing about farmclub.com, it was almost like a curse. It's like all the bands that were on there that you thought were gonna get huge just didn't really get very popular. Yeah,
1: right. It seemed like it happened a few times. I'm like, oh, these guys are awesome. Yeah. What happened?
0: At the that, Drive-In right? was on there, I think, right? Was that the Drive-In? Or, or uh, Annual Know by the Trail of the Dead, I remember, definitely was on, and they smashed all their gear on stage. Oh, shit. And I so, did see that one. Um, so when you got into WWE, and I guess like that schedule is obviously – well, actually, before you, when you get into developmental – are you kind of like stationary at that point? Like, are you able to kind of like resume a somewhat normal life, or is it still really hard on the road? Uh,
1: no, no, you, you kind of can. Um, yeah, because you are stationary. Yeah, but but you know you're training five days a week, and um, you know you're at, you're at the training facility at seven a.m. every day, and you're taking hundreds of bumps a day, and just you know pretty much. Deep, at Deep South, the way we were doing things then, mm-hmm. you've heard the stories and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it, at the end of the day, you ain't going out. <laughs> 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 you're going back to your apartment. You're going to soak in the tub for a bit. You might have a few beers, and you're going to knock the hell out because you got to get up at, at 6 so you can be you know at the training center by 7. Um, generally, you had your weekends free. Um, So I didn't really get into the scene there because we were in McDonough, which is uh, about an hour outside of Atlanta. Um, But there was one band, and I'm trying to remember the band now, man. It's going to piss me off because they were really good, and they were a black band, too. And they made some really cool music, and I can't remember the name of them now to save my life. From Atlanta? Yeah, they were in the Atlanta area.
0: From that period, too.
1: God, I can't I remember. Yeah, let me. Hopefully, it'll come. Back. Yeah, absolutely. The lead, was... the lead singer's name was
0: Baye. Baye, I'm trying to think yeah. of that. Might be. Uh, the Atlanta. It's amazing how much music comes out of that city. I guess it's a massive city, but like, yeah, and the diversity of the stuff that kind of comes out of that city too. Um, well, I, when you uh, you know, do ultimately, you know, I guess I'm jumping around here, but I wanted to find out when you go to Japan. Did you ever get a chance to go to shows in Japan?
1: Um, you know. He, I saw one show in Japan, and it was actually funny. The only reason I saw that show is because I was uh, hanging out with Tokyo Hero. Uh Yeah. And uh, it, God, man, I can't even. I want to say it was Anthrax. Yeah, it was Anthrax, and uh, this hybrid band that was—I think it was like the members from Pantera. And uh, oh man, I, like, I like,
0: can't even. Wait, was what down?
1: Was it down
0: or Super Joint Ritual?
1: Jeez, man, it sucks. I can't even remember who nope. it was now. Darn. But, but I, that was the only show I went to. I didn't get to go to any shows in, in Japan because I was working pretty much. And then, and it, oddly enough, you know, even though I had Tokyo Hero, who is plugged into you know the, the music scene there. We never went to any shows together, just the one, and uh, I was—I thought it was cool as fuck seeing these Japanese kids. The, the music scene in Japan is so crazy. Have you been?
0: Oh yeah, well, I've been there three times, but like only for, you know, like a short. Time every time, but I I love it, love it. Did love you get
1: it. a chance to play? Were you there for a festival? Yeah, event? we played
0: uh, first time we played uh, we played Astro Hall in Tokyo, and then the second time we played Fuji Rock, and then the third time we played
1: Fuji Rock. Okay, yeah,
0: Hostess Weekender, which is like just like a, a label festival with Dinosaur Junior. Um, but Dinosaur yeah, Junior. <laughs> oh yeah, that Dinosaur Junior is a band that we've gotten to <laughs> we toured a lot with, and actually another band that has. Real deep hardcore punk roots in Deep Wound, their old hardcore punk band from back in the day. Um, okay. But, but it's funny because, like, Japanese hardcore, like, specifically, like, the style of Japanese hardcore called Burning Spirits is almost like as a strong style Japanese wrestling is to North American Japanese wrestling fans or, or wrestling fans, period, I've, I should say. It's the same way that Burning Spirits style hardcore is for me. Like, I love that style of music so much that comes from Man, Japan. I gotta,
1: I, as soon as we, as soon as we finish, I'm going to pull some up. I'm going to go find well, Burning Spirit yeah, style br- hardcore.
0: Yeah, it's like, it, like, Judgment, Gizum, Gaze, Gaze, but, uh, it, they're just like, there's so many bands there, and it's, it's, and once again, it's just like, it, it's very, I find a lot of similarities, obviously, in approach to, in the same way that, you know, Japanese wrestling has that kind of like, like sort of all consuming kind of a passion and approach to the craft. It's the same approach that's kind of applied to Burning Spirit style Japanese hardcore where it's almost like every band is doing this perfect combination of motorhead and discharge. And just <laughs> perfect. Perfectly figured out. Um actually that I wanted to ask you also, given the recent passing of Lemmy, did you have any experiences meeting Lemmy when you were at the WWE?
1: Man, you know, I I was when I heard he died, I said how unfortunate it was that I've met every member of the band but Lemmy. Really? All the times through WWE, i never met Lemmy, not once, and that's that's a huge regret, man. Because I was a huge Motorhead fan, man. I mean, I, I am a huge. I love Motorhead. Yeah.
0: Man.
2: I,
1: I remember the first time I, I, I discovered the mo- I discovered Motorhead when they were on that episode of the Young Ones on MTV.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that,
1: that was my introduction to Motorhead, and I'm like, "Wow, this is cool." <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, actually, MTV was that. Do you ever see the Bad? Bra- oh, was it MTV or no? Some other music show, right? The Bad Brains played Daytona Beach or something.
1: Um, you know, I never, I didn't see it when it came out, but I've yeah. since seen it on a uh, on um, YouTube and yep. whatnot. Yeah, uh, man, you know, when I finally got to see Bad Brains, it was after I had been released from prison, and me and uh, my two younger brothers drove to Orlando to the House of Blues, and um, it was kind of bittersweet. It was awesome for me to finally see them, Mm -hmm. but um, they played most of the songs in a 4-4 time signature. Everything was like real slowed down, Mm -hmm. Um, so it wasn't, you know, Bad Brains of old, and I you know, I don't. I guess I was ex- still expecting HR to be bouncing off the walls, you know, but still, I, I had the opportunity to see them live. And uh, Shaka Malik, shout out to him, actually uh, put in a call to uh, to uh, Daryl and said, "Hey, man, I'm just you know this dude. He's a friend of mine. He wants to meet you guys. So I got a chance to to meet everybody and talk to him for a little bit. And you know, for me, that shit was just like uh, you know." I oh, couldn't even couldn't even verbalize what That's it was, amazing. to to meet my heroes as far as music was because it was because of them that I started listening to punk and hardcore and embracing the scene. They were my doorway.
0: Yeah, well and I was going to say like is that that's before you kind of became famous for wrestling, right? Like that would have been just a Oh, way reason.
1: before. Yeah, I was just I was just some guy, man.
0: I guess, I guess that's the thing, it's like, you know, you meet these bands and there's still, I, I like I don't know if it's like this in other genres, but there's still like this like sort of immediate kind of like connection, like, here's this guy from this band that you liked calling your favorite band to get you backstage, it's like, I don't know, <laughs>
1: but that's why yeah, I love this genre. you know like how, how it's... it's... And that's something that's just so cool that, yeah. that I think is kind of unique to yeah. the scene. You know, there's this this the culture of, and there's this, this, this real cool camaraderie and, and brotherhood, and it's like, uh, like like families fight, and mm-hmm. you're gonna have your issues, but at the same time, there's just it, it's it, there's just the love, you know, and I, I dig it.
0: Well, uh, at WWE, did you have a chance to meet any of the other bands? That would, I guess did Haypri did Haypri ever do anything with WWE? I remember Jamie recorded a demo of a song that was going to be used, but it was it never actually used.
1: Yeah, I don't think so.
0: Not, not to my
1: knowledge. But, and sorry, I don't. No, I was going to say I don't. I, I never. I, I've never met them. I've never seen them. How's that? Every time they came to South Florida, I'd always hear about how awesome the fucking hate breed show was but i had to work or i had to go out of town to wrestle or, so to this day i still haven't seen Hate breed
0: really well that's a, that, <laughs> yeah. it must be is it now that you're kind of like i guess you're about to jump back into sort of a, a more full-time ish schedule but like it, in the last couple of years have you had a chance to see more stuff because you've had time off or or have you been unable to kind of see stuff
1: well no actually um it's it's only been recently that uh I've made like a conscious effort to say hey I'm I'm going to get out here in Houston and start seeing more local bands play. Yeah. Uh but <clears throat> as far as you know uh going to see concerts, you know, I I haven't really seen a lot of uh hardcore shows lately, but on occasion, you know, when certain people come to town that I know or like it was real cool to to be able to go see Living Color play, or yeah. when Fozzie came to town, I went and you know hung out with Jericho, and I got to see uh, uh oh I got to see Slash's new project, the one that he's doing because Fozzie opened up for them. Mm-hmm. Um, who else have I been to see lately? Uh, I, I saw Fishbone it's Fitzgeralds a uh, few months, uh, uh, maybe a little longer than a few months ago. Have you ever uh, had any?
0: Interaction with Bob Mould from Husker Du? Because I know he's like, he used to write for WCW and he's a big wrestling fan and I'm sure is a fan of your work. No,
1: no, no, no. I don't think we've ever met, actually.
0: Um, there's also, uh, what about Lars from Rancid? Cause, yes,
1: uh, yes, 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 yes. Now, <coughs> Lars and I got to hang out. As a matter of fact, <laughs> one day, um, again, once again, Lars is another guy. He and I were sitting and catering we are you know, shooting the shit about music and Punk walks in and Lars looks up and goes, this guy knows what's up. I told him, Why do you think I fuck with him? Yeah, right. so, but uh, it's funny because that day, Lars had on a, a white shirt and a red sweater, like a pullover V-neck sweater vest, and uh, blue jeans and white sneakers. And I had on the same exact thing. And so somewhere, I don't have it anymore, but somewhere there, is, there exists a picture of me and Lars dressed like twins.
0: Twinsies. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, hey, real cool guys. Uh, I got to again hanging out with Tokyo Hero. I got the, I got to see uh, Lars play with his band, uh, T's, 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 uh, the Old Firm Casuals. Oh I yeah, see them play. Yeah, that was a hell of a show. I enjoyed that.
0: Did you Did you hang out with that band at all? Or my friend Casey plays in that band.
1: Oh, no, just just that that night. Oh okay, I haven't yeah. seen him since.
0: Oh crazy, awesome. That's like a small world. That's uh, actually I'm supposed to have Casey on the podcast next week. Um, I
1: will give him my regards I man. will it was a hell of a show
0: that night that's awesome yeah like well I know he's a huge fan like that's the thing Is like I meet so many it's funny because like uh, Robbie Brookside uh, sent me a a performance center shirt and we went on <laughs> this festival tour and I was wearing it and it would be like every day it would be like casting a bait into the water and it would be like the lead singer of Exodus coming up being like I fucking love wrestling that's an amazing shirt and like Aww. You know, or just like, <laughs> it's amazing how many people in music kind of gravitate to to wrestling as their as their chosen form of, of entertainment. Uh,
1: lots of people do, man. It's funny. Uh, I met um, Alex from the Gaslight Anthem, mm-hmm. and it was pretty cool to have, we met, we got to hit it off. He's a huge wrestling fan, and uh, a couple of the bandmates are wrestling fans, and they're like, yo, you guys, he's like, hey, you, uh... You want to we're playing Coachella. You want to come hang out? I'm like, yeah, all right, cool. Yeah. yeah, I'll come hang out at Coachella. I'll come hang out in your tour bus and go to Coachella, sure. Yeah, I'll stand on the stage and watch you guys play. Yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. the only way to go to Coachella is when you when you have a backstage pass.
1: Do I wouldn't, yeah, after that, I wouldn't go any no, other
0: never way. Never again. Now. It's, it's going to be a letdown every other time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, w- I, I wouldn't go any other way now. I was like, oh, okay, cool, man. This is a, yeah, when I, when I saw Steely Dan played Coachella, I was like, really? That, okay, Coachella's really getting uh, adventurous now. Well, Coachella- and it was crazy because when, when I went, uh, Wu-Tang was on one stage and the Red Hot Chili Peppers were on the other. Yeah. You know, talk about life choices.
0: Yeah, you, what was your choice? I was going to say, what did you make, what was your decision?
1: Oh, man, it, dude, I, I, I straddled the fence. I, I kind of hung out
0: in the middle. <laughs> you got to hear the mashup that uh, of 36 Chambers and Mother's Milk that none of us Yes, <laughs>
2: Yes,
0: yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny. When we played Coachella, uh, I, I saw Throbbing Gristle play, and I was standing beside right. Boone from Lost.
1: Nice.
0: It was like a very surreal moment, but that's my yeah, same right. thing. I'm never going to go back again. They're probably never going to ask us to play again. And so it's like I can't go back. I can't go back to ever and be in the. In yeah, but, the, but you know people though. You know people. You're 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 kind of a big deal. Oh, Well, you know it's it, it's a uh, it, you know it's not the same as I'm not going to be able to see throbbing gristle or or see that mashup of thirty six chambers mother milk that I want. So <laughs> no. What, what's probably the point? not. point? <laughs> uh, well, probably I won't not. keep you much longer because I could honestly, as you can tell and I hope I've done a pretty good job. I, I w- was about to go down a wrestling rabbit hole so many times and I could just talk to you about wrestling so much, but I wanted to kind of allow you to just talk about music, but, uh, I can't not talk to you a little bit about wrestling, right? So I gotta, of course.
1: Okay. Yeah, of course. No, man, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, man. Uh, wrestling is, it's my craft, mm-hmm. it's my passion. And, you know, I say this about professional wrestling. You know, I love the craft. I hate the business. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I hate the business of professional wrestling. But, you know, as speaking to a fellow performer, I love performing in mm-hmm. front of the crowd and eliciting certain responses and reactions. And, and, you know, the same how, you know, you control the crowd. You know, you're, you're, you're the maestro. And, and, you know the crowd is following your every lead, and it's just an awesome thing to be able to go out there and affect people emotionally. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that. But you know the business part of pro wrestling—ah, man—it's just you know. In sliminess and snakes and 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 insecure people and oh, it's just like oh wow, you you see all these big jacked up tough guys and you think wow, and it's the biggest collection of sissies in the
0: world. Well, it's like music. Like what you're describing is exactly like music in the same way that like it, it's it's like you can love music but hate that music business with a passion. Yeah. And and I and I and I think that's why I you know I keep going back to the similarities and stuff like that. But I do see kind of the same way, and maybe that's why you because you, you're just like you are that punk rock vibe, you know. And that's why you you have to hate the business of 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 the wrestling side because you're you're the punk rock side of wrestling, you know. You you gravitate to the art, not to the business.
1: Yeah, 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 man. And listen, man, I, I still own a pair of purple docks, you know. I, <laughs> 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 I got two pairs. I got black and purple. And yes, I will put on my fucking purple docks and go to a show. And then, as a matter of fact, I need mean to. Just, just, you have inspired me. Coming on this podcast, uh-huh. I'm going to check out the local Houston scene. And I'm going to take my old carcass out to a show, strap on the purple docks, and do a couple revolutions, and then get a beer and ice up.
0: <laughs> Houston was the first place I ever saw ever anyone standing on the side of the pit sipping lean in the middle of a hardcore show and it was that's fucking beautiful was...
1: See, man
0: <laughs> so your purple docks would go with the drinks my
1: purple docks with some purple lean but yeah, if it's... i if i sip on some purple lean i am not getting in the pit i would just be no. like that dude leaning my ass on the wall somewhere
0: i'll tell you one thing he was not chill when someone spilt that cup was... I bet I bet not. That's probably a couple hundred dollars in that cup. You know? It was a, it was a it was a cheaper time, but yeah, it was definitely still a pretty expensive drink, I imagine. But uh anyway, I could talk to you again all day, but I think this is a great point to let you go. I'd love to have you back on for a part two at some point. But uh
1: anytime, be... man. I had a blast, man. And and next time I'll try not to be so high so I can remember things a little bit better. No,
0: I think I think it was amazing. <laughs> no, you were perfect. Like this as I said, this has been you know, like the, you to me, I've been are, hit in the
1: head with a chair one or two times. People, <laughs> well, so.
0: I've, I've hit myself, unfortunately, trying to emulate you with a can in my head in, in a, in a weird way, uh, you know, <laughs> one too many times. So it's affected my memory recall as well. But I think, I think that's the thing is like, you know, you're someone that embodies like so many of my, my <laughs> the things I love in life, which is politics, which, which you didn't get a chance to talk to, but obviously you're an incredibly insightful person on that stuff. and, go on to it on your own show all the time, but also like wrestling and punk, you know, like you combine these three passions of mine. So thank you for doing that. And, and thank you for coming on the show and sharing it.
1: Anytime, with me. man. I look forward to doing it again sometime.
0: Awesome. Talk to you soon. All right, MVP, one more story. Cause you and me were talking about this story before and I just got to hear it. So everyone's got to hear it.
1: All right. So, Fugazi comes to town. Yeah. I've never seen Minor Threat, but I'm thinking, Ian McKay, all right, cool, man, you know, this, let me go check out Fugazi. I, and I, at this point, to be honest, I hadn't hadn't even heard Fugazi. I think I'd heard one or two songs, didn't really know, but fuck to it, it's Ian McKay. Let's go check him out. My younger brother, who's about three inches taller than I am and a state champion amateur wrestler. <laughs> He comes out. I, you know, I turn my brother on to the scene. You know, he's not as into the scene, but, you know, he, he likes what he likes. And, you know, he's not scared of the pit or, yeah. you know, back then. And uh, we go to the show. Once we get inside, we realize, oh, this isn't what we thought it was going to be. This Fugazi's is a little different from Minor Threat. Okay. <laughs> All right. No problem. No problem. So... There were still uh, a couple of guys that we recognized, you know, from the little colorblind scene, and a couple of little skins were hanging out, and they kind of half ass started moshing. And at this time, man, I want to say, I was juiced up then, you know, I was probably about 260 pounds, (laughs) Jack. And uh, like I said, my brother was a a cop and an athlete, and he was no less than 240. And. Ian McKay stops the show and, you know, tells everyone who's moshing, you know, to have some respect for for the other kids that that don't want to be, you know, banged around. And, you know, he goes into one of his little speeches, his little morality plays, and uh, they start playing again. And, the handful of people that are marching start marching again. I never did anything. I'm just standing there on the edge, just keeping an eye on my brother and kinda, you know, digging the music a little bit. Next thing I know, he stops the show again. Security comes and surrounds me and my brother. And they grab my brother, who he was a cop, so, you know, he had that that uh hey holy thou thing anyway, get your hands off me kind of thing. He ends up with a bloody nose. <laughs> And I'm telling him, man, chill the fuck out. We'll talk when we get outside. This is obviously a misunderstanding. Yeah. We get outside, security goes back in. And we're like, wait a minute, what the fuck just happened? I run security at one of the biggest nightclubs on Southeast. My brother's a cop. We just got thrown out, and everybody went back inside. Nobody's telling a shit. My brother identifies himself to the two Fort Lauderdale cops. and says, look, man, I'm a cop in Miami. What, what, some, i was standing here with a bloody nose. I don't even know what the fuck we got thrown out for. What's going on? So the cops are like, well, you know, they let somebody know, hey, listen, you didn't just throw out two jabronis. You got some guys out here that, you know, one of them's a cop. After waiting for like 45 minutes, them hoping we would go away, head of security comes out and uh, he says that we were thrown out for fighting. So my brother and I look at each other and I said, well, where are the bodies? Because if me and this dude were fighting somebody, you'd have to back up some ambulances to haul some carcasses out of here. Who Were we fighting each other? We were the only ones that got thrown out. So who were we fighting? And uh, he said that, well, uh, we were asked to remove the two of you because you two were causing a problem. Wait a minute. Well, who's? I didn't do anything. I'm standing there on the edge of the, on the edge of the pit, not doing anything. My brother, he's just kind of bouncing around. So, why is it that the two big black guys, the only black guys at the show, mm-hmm. on the floor, get when he stops the show, we get surrounded and escorted out, and traditionally in the past, Ian. I heard he would give people their money back when he would kick them out of the show. We got kicked out of the show for doing nothing wrong, and we never got our money back. <laughs> so, fuck you, Ian McKay. And if somebody hears this, you tell them I said it. <laughs> fuck you. Fugazi fucking sucks. And I had a horrible time at your show. Didn't do anything wrong. And you owe me 40 bucks or 30 bucks or whatever those fucking shitty tickets were anyway.
0: Well, to bring it full circle... Next time, if we're ever asked to play Coachella again, we're bringing you, and he's at Coachella every year at the backstage area, so we're going to make sure you get your money back for that show. For <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so.
1: Give me my... Uh, and let me say this, though, and I want to be very careful yeah. not to imply at all that Ian McKay is a racist or no, anything yet. like that. You know, I just, I just thought it was real fucked up that uh, there was a handful of white guys that were marching too but only the black guys got thrown out and we were told that we were specifically pointed out and it was his show his name's at the top of the bill so bam that shit falls on you Ian I want my money back man two dollars I want my two (laughs) dollars
0: we know we know he's at Coachella every year so it's Action Bronson myself or someone out there who's a wrestling sympathizer musician We'll make sure you get your $2, more than $2 <laughs> at that point for a Fugazi show, let's be honest, uh, back. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Thank
2: you for letting me vent.